0: This is Day 56, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 4, Deuteronomy 4, and Psalm 88. Numbers 4 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a census of the Kohathite branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work at the Tent of Meeting. This is the work of the Kohathites at the Tent of Meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and put it over the Ark of the Covenant law. Then they are to cover the curtain with a durable leather, spread a cloth of solid blue over and put the poles in place. Over the table of the presents, they are to spread a blue cloth and put on it the plates, dishes, and bowls and the jars for drinking drink offerings. The bread that is continually there is to remain on it. They are to spread a scarlet cloth over them Cover that with the durable leather and put the poles in place. They are to take a blue cloth and cover the lamp stand that is for light together with its lamps, its wicks, and trimmers and trays and all its jars for the olive oil used to supply it. Then they are to wrap it and all its accessories in a covering of the durable leather and put it on a carrying frame. Over the gold altar, they are to spread a blue cloth and cover that with durable leather and put the poles in place. They are to take all the articles used for ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in blue cloth, cover that with durable leather, and put them in a carrying frame. They are to remove the ashes from the bronze altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Then they are to place it on all the utensils used for ministering at the altar, including the fire pans, meat forks, shovels, and sprinkling bowls. Over it, they are to spread a covering of the durable leather and put the poles in place. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, is to have charge of the oil for the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, and the anointing oil. He is to be in charge of the entire tabernacle and everything in it, including its holy furnishings and articles. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, see that the Kohathite tribal clans are not destroyed from among the Levites so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy things. Do this for them. Aaron and his sons are to go into the sanctuary and assign to each man his work and what he is to carry. But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will die. The Lord said to Moses, Take a census also of the Gershonites by their families and clans. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work at the tent of meeting. This is the service of the Gershonite clan and their carrying and their other work. They are to carry the curtain of the tabernacle, that is, the tent of meeting, its coverings and its outer covering of durable leather, the curtain for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtain of the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle altar, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and all the equipment used in the service of the tent. The Gershonites are to do all that needs to be done with these things. All their service, whether carrying or doing other work, is to be done under the direction of Aaron and his sons. You shall assign to them as their responsibility all they are to carry. This is the service of the Gershonite clan at the tent of meeting. Their duties are to be under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest." Count the Marorites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work at the tent of meeting. As part of all their service at the tent, they are to carry the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, and bases, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, ropes, all their equipment, and everything related to their use. Assign to each man the specific things he is to carry. This is the service of the Merarite clans as they work at the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the community counted the Kohathites by their clans and families. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work at the tent of meeting counted by clans were 2,750. This was the total of all those in Kohathite clan who served at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's commands through Moses. The Gershonites were counted by their clans and families. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work at the tent of meeting counted by their clans and families were 2,630. This was the total of those in the Gershonite clan who served at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's command. The Merorites were counted by their clans and families. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work of the tent of meeting counted by their clans were 3,200. This was the total of those in the Merarite clans. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's command through Moses. So Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel counted all the Levites by their clans and families. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to do the work of serving and carrying the tent of meeting numbered 8,580. At the Lord's command through Moses, each was assigned his work and told what to carry. Thus, they were counted as the Lord commanded Moses. Deuteronomy 4, Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my word so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. "'You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain "'while it blazed with fire to the very heavens "'with black clouds and deep darkness. "'Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. "'You heard the sound of words but saw no form. "'There was only a voice.' He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing, the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape whether formed like a man or a woman, or like an animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the water below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, "'Do not be enticed into bowing down to them "'and worshiping things the Lord your God "'has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. "'But as for you, the Lord took you "'and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, "'out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance "'as you now are. "'The Lord was angry with me because of you, "'and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan "'and enter the good land the Lord your God "'is giving you as your inheritance.'" I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God, and he made this with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger. I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the people, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, He has showed you His great fire, and you heard His words from out of the fire. Because He loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, He brought you out of Egypt by His presence and His great strength to drive out before your nations great and strong that you, and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God. In heaven, above, and on the earth below, there is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children, after you, that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Then Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan, to which anyone who had killed a person could flee if they had unintentionally killed a neighbor without malice, afterthought. They could flee into one of these cities and save their life. The cities were these, Bezer in the wilderness plateau, for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead, for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan, for the Manassites. This is the law Moses set before the Israelites. These are the stipulations, decrees, and laws Moses gave them when they came out of Egypt. And where in the valley near Beth Peor, east of the Jordan, in the land of Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and was defeated by Moses and the Israelites, as they came out of Egypt... They took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan. This land extended from Aror on the rim of the Arnon Gorge to Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, and included all the Arabah east of the Jordan, as far as the Dead Sea, below the slopes of the Pisag. Psalm 88, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with the troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit and the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are Are your wonders known in the place of darkness?" Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terror and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Okay, man, there's just so much to chew on in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Psalms 88 today. So thank you for continuing to listen, read, be a part of this in God's Word, and not stopping when it's definitely getting, has been, is on occasions hard. Justice and generosity. What is our response to grace? Righteousness to God. What is that? Righteousness is right relationship with God. Okay, I want to start with Psalms 88. So I'd like to start by saying it is the darkest— of all the Psalms, and uh, that it doesn't have some kind of resolution in the end. It's a prayer of suffering and affliction. Yet, there is this sense of connection in that we can still talk to God. He is still with us. He can still hear us. I think back to Psalms 28, where um, it says, you know, that we may feel or we are in this valley of the shadow of death, and it may not be comfortable, but peace is different from comfort. And peace is different from understanding a situation. And it's definitely different from peace. And then I remember the New Testament passage in Philippians 4, 6, that we are not to be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation with prayer and petition, because God is there, and with the spirit of Eucharisto, that we tell our requests, like that's what's happening here in this Psalms. We tell the request to God and our situation and then the peace that surpasses surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus for me there's this tethering to the story we did in the in the past on Job that we can talk to God and we can challenge him and he will He will respond and all these different things. Like the Proverbs, wisdom that's provincial, makes sense. Ecclesiastes, we start to understand there we will even more so that life isn't fair. But then Job and then here in Psalms, and we're also seeing this hint of it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're not always gonna understand things. We're not always gonna understand all the details. And it may not make us feel comfortable, but our peace comes from our trust in the relationship with God and in our faith, which is certain of what we do not see, Hebrews 11, 1, that he is wisdom itself, so that we're not comparing God to our wisdom and our sense of understanding and our sense of what's comfortable slash peaceful, because we are a part of his world. And while he's a part of ours, the bigger picture is that we're a part of his, right? So we can't be the one that's judging and defining everything, or we find ourselves right back in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so in Numbers 4, we read the last part of the organization of the encampment, they're still at Mount Sinai, and the role of the Levitical priests in the setting up and tearing down and transferring of the tabernacle and the tent of meetings and all the things that go along with that. And remember, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, their families, they're all from the tribe of Levi, Jacob and Leah's third son. I don't know why, but I love reading how God pulled this family so close to him in proximity. Remember, God's at the center, and they're around um, the center, and then the rest of the tribes are out from that. So they're close to him in proximity, and the incredible portion of power and authority he gave them to care for sacred space on behalf of the community. They were given a blessing to be a blessing to represent the larger story we're reading where God is calling us to become a kingdom of priests, to come close to Him, receive His grace, blessing, atonement, and then be a blessing by putting God and His immutable character on display with our ethics and charity, by helping others navigate their way to Jesus, by representatively standing in the gap, interceding in prayer for the lost, the hurt, and the hard hearts around us, and to prodigally give to those in need. I'm reminded of who Levi was. And while I do not want to define him by like one thing, for me, it's important to remember, though, how Levi and his brother Simeon responded with great violence back in the story with their sister. And their father, Jacob, reiterated that Levi and Simeon killed men in anger and the consequences of that. Are articulated, if you remember from Genesis 49, verse 5 to 7. Jacob expressly states, Let me not enter their counsel. Yet here, God is drawing the Levites close to himself, his story, and his rescue mission. It's another testament to me how we do not earn or deserve God's grace. We do not earn or deserve the leadership opportunities we have. God gives them to us for his purpose and calls us to respond. To me, it's actually a story with so much to say about who God is. It's so cool to me. And then we end yesterday's story at the end of Deuteronomy 3 with the shocking news that Moses would not enter the promised land. For me, maybe the point to emphasize is the echoes to the end of the creation story in Genesis 3 and 4. I feel like Genesis 3 and 4 maps directly on to Deuteronomy 3 and 4. In Genesis 3, we read about the consequences of moral defection alienation and dislocation in the garden of eden from like this special place with god and maybe in the end of deuteronomy 3 and expanded here as we read deuteronomy 4 is the retelling of that larger story and our story that someone has to pay the cost for moral defection if rescue and restoration are to be made possible back into a physically close relationship with God in a special place where we dwell and abide with him for the purpose of ruling, filling some doing and putting God on display and fulfilling the role of becoming a kingdom of priests and blessing the realm of creation God gave us, maybe Moses and the Israelites are like Adam and Eve. And like the sin of Adam and Eve, the sin of the Israelites and Moses has consequences. But like in Genesis 3.15, as God is describing the consequences, he is also telling them that he will bring a wounded victor whose heel will be striked, so that's a cost, but who will ultimately crush the head of the serpent, the adversary. And then in this story, Moses seems to be saying there's a cost to sin and he's going to pay it. For me, it resonates with this heel strike. He's not going to the promised land. But who is going to crush the head of the serpent to bring the victory? It's Joshua, or in Hebrew, Yeshua. So like in Genesis 3.15, there's this stirring of hope. And isn't it coincidental or perhaps intentional that the name Jesus is actually the Hebrew name Yeshua and that Jesus is humanity's ultimate serpent crusher, and he will be the deliverer. So maybe there's some echoes here in this story um, going on that are, again, starting to paint this bigger picture of what Jesus is doing and what God's doing. Maybe the point is less about what Moses did as an individual, like some sort of specific or completely tremendously awful sin, and more about the retelling of the larger story where Adam and Eve were in partnership under God's leadership in the Garden of Eden, Similarly here, the Israelites were in partnership under Moses' leadership as appointed by God, but the people keep defecting and they're going to be separated from Moses. It makes me feel a bit like I did when Adam and Eve were separated from the Garden of Eden and their close physical relationship with God where he walked and talked to them directly. Yet there's hope. Yeshua will deliver them, which anticipates what Jesus or Yeshua, the Savior, will do for all of us. So the Garden of Eden and Mount Sinai are both special places where God came close to humans and Moses is called to stay or go back there while the people depart, and Yeshua will deliver them. And honestly, there is a sense of comfort in knowing that Moses is with Jesus because of the New Testament. I love that we didn't have to just like wonder, you know, about that. For example, Matthew 17 verse 1 through 5, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. So again, we get that radiant face. And his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, Talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So it's not like Moses is being separated from God just the next chapter of the Israelites' people's story as their leader. I'm not sure Moses is being punished as much as he's playing a representative role in the story. There is a separation from the original leader, um, kind of like in Genesis, you felt that sense when we weren't with God in the Garden of Eden. And then there's this need... Uh, because of our moral defection for a deliverer, a savior, a crusher, right? So Jesus, and there's this hint of Jesus, Yeshua, we're beginning to read more and more about crushing victories. Like there's like a lot of talk already and there's gonna be more about crushing victories, which I think represents what Jesus is going to do and what God said he would do in Genesis 3.15, bring the one that crushes the serpent's head, the adversary, there also seems to be this pointed retelling of Genesis 4:7 here in Deuteronomy 4. Genesis 4:7 stated that if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Dr. Miller discusses how Deuteronomy 4 is Moses telling the Israelites about the shape of the life we are to live in a condition where God is with us, but there's this sense of urgency to act today, to respond to his grace now, to be vigilant and proactive because God is and has over and over and over again pursued us and will and is committed to in his covenantal promises. Dr. Miller states in his Deuteronomy 4 commentary on the Gospel Coalition that here in this chapter, the pattern continues with consistency and clarity. God has acted in grace rescuing his people and speaking directly to them. And now the shape of the response required by Israel, by us, is clear. We're to listen to him. They're to listen to him and to do what he says. And no sooner has this sort of happened than we're seeing this likelihood of them lowing this opportunity.